بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك على سوره اللقمان سوره نمبر 31 right at the beginning اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الف لام م تلك ايات الكتاب الحكيم ودور رحمه للمحسنين الذين يقيمون الصلاه ويؤتون الزكاه وهم بالاخره يوقنون اولئك على هدى من ربهم واولئك هم المفلحون this is surah luqman luqman is the name of a wise person who is mentioned in this surah we will discuss him inshallah when we get to that surah luqman starts with alif lam mim and there are several surahs in the quran that begin with these three letters as you know surah baqarah and the surah that comes after this one alif lam mim sajda and also the one we studied previously alif lam mim al ankabut and so on alif lam mim ar rum so these letters as you know they are broken letters they are called al huruf al muqattaat and they are separated in recitation and they they do have some meaning the meaning we don't know and inshallah hopefully when we get into jannah we'll know what they mean but there is a meaning to the letters and we've discussed this before tilka ayatul ayatul kitab hakim these are the ayat the signs the verses of the wise book and the wise revelation so the quran is a book that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down as a ni'ma rahma for all of mankind and it is sent down with a purpose not without a purpose and that purpose is now encapsulated in the word al-hakim that it is full of wisdom there is so much knowledge in these ayat and in the revelation that the quran is that you'd have to be a very intelligent person in order to understand or the provide the benefits the intricacies the nuances the morals that are represented through each verse and each ayah so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al hakim the one who is eternally wise and his revelation his book is also from the same being and it is full of hikmah and wisdom and knowledge information and everything that human being needs in order to succeed in this world and also in the world hereafter in the description of the book the revelation being al-hakim there is an understanding or a requirement for the reader to appreciate that nothing in the quran is devoid of intelligence number 1 and number 2 that intelligence 
has to be cultivated by whatever the Quran says, which is in the following ayat. How does one cultivate the hikmah, the intelligence? By appreciating that this is a guide. These ayat, they serve as guidelines and also guidance for those who are muhsineen. Those who do good deeds. Those who see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in front of them. And then also rahmah. The means of rahmah, compassion, mercy, uh, value. All of the moral and ethical characteristics of an intelligent person must be with the person who reads the Qur'an and then represents the Qur'an and wants to execute the Qur'an in his or her own life. Meaning the effect of the Qur'an should be the effect of hikmah. A person who reads the Qur'an must embody within him hikmah which is based on intelligence and also based on ihsan, muhsineen, perfection and excellence in behavior. So this is the outlook that the reader of the Qur'an must inculcate and that takes time. As you know, hikmah, wisdom, maturity requires that you take things in their stride and you don't hope things will change overnight. There's Within the human life cycle, we change, as we discussed in the previous surah, over time. That we are born, then we are infants, and then we go to becoming (coughs) adolescents, and then into an age of adulthood, and then into an old age. And with every phase, we grow intellectually, and we grow with maturity, and we grow with our ethics and behavior and morals, and so on. So this is the understanding. A reader of the Qur'an must be appreciative of before he or she says that now I am understanding the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hikmah is eternal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge is eternal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's information of people is also eternal. That he brings that down in phases and stages so that human beings may appreciate uh, the wisdom in sending down a revelation over periods of time and not instantaneously. Likewise, when we read in the Qur'an, we're trying to read the Qur'an, apart from recitation, the understanding of the Qur'an will come over phases. It will not come instantaneously, nor should we expect that it comes instantaneously. It takes you a few years to develop the ability to read the Qur'an in Arabic. And then it takes you a few more years to understand the ayat of the Qur'an. Then it takes you even more years to actually appreciate how those ayat are visualized, realized and appreciated in life and in other people. So this is a lifelong uh, quest, if you will, for seeking the knowledge from the wise, al-Hakim. And in this quest, you must have these two values. One is that there is guidance. Guidance means that at every corner and every step of your life where you need guidance and you're a bit confused or lost, then you turn to the Qur'an. You turn to the wise. You turn to Al-Hakim. 
and you ask for his madad, you ask for his help, you ask for his guidance. So guidance is always there in the Qur'an. The Qur'an is like a huge, huge reservoir. And every time we run out of water, what do we do? You go back to the reservoir. You go back to the water. And you fill up your your water skins and you fill up your utensils and or you distribute the water through your piping system, whatever it is. But every time you need water, you can go to the Qur'an and you will find this guidance. That's number one. Number two, more than that, especially for Muslims of today, we must appreciate the Rahmah in the Qur'an. Guidance is one thing. I understand that this is how I do Salat. I give Zakat, I fast, and I go for Hajj, this is how I should behave according to the seer of the Prophet But more than that, it should be Rahmah. Rahmah has two phases. One is its application on you. How do you receive the Hidayah and the guidance? That means that am I receiving Allah's Rahmah in me and on me? And then it becomes external where you distribute that Rahmah with and around the people around you. Usually today, nowadays, especially in post-Enlightenment thinking, human rights kind of jargon and Muslims feeling that they're suffering and they're making others suffer. Uh, Muslims, they rarely think about the rahmah that they need to incorporate within themselves. That the Quran is a rahmah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a rahim. The Prophet is rahim. Islam is a rahmah. Uh, these forms of rahmah must materialize in me first. I must see them in me. Not in that person over there, he's killing everybody in the world, he has no rahmah. Okay, now sit down and think about this. What do I need to do to appreciate and inculcate the rahmah from the Quran, from Allah, the Rasul and Islam in me? Once you've internalized that, then you can speak about rahmah. So rahmah is just, it's not simply that you're going to give it to somebody else. You can't give what you don't have. Right? If you don't have rahmah yourself, how are you going to give it to somebody else? You can't. That's why the hikmah in al-Hakim uh, now introduces us to a, a formula of acquiring the rahmah, internalizing and then distributing that rahmah lil-muhsineen. For those who have ihsan, for those who are good, muhsin, the translation is okay, is correct, but it's not accurate. Muhsin, for those of you, mashallah, who know Arabic, is a verb form that requires that it, it, it becomes what? Uh, transitive. You must extend the ihsan and the husn and the good to others. Somebody is now good, and then somebody who does good is a muhsin. But you can't do good if you don't have good in you. You cannot make islah if you don't have salah in you. So likewise, you can't give ihsan if you don't have husn in you. Everybody in the world wants to give ihsan and give salah, export their goodness and kindness, but they don't have anything in themselves. So the Qur'an is for the read of the Qur'an to internalize first and appreciate that there are levels of ihsan and excellence and beauty 
and kindness and being, you know, favorable in the eyes and minds of people. And that is that I appreciate this is for me a thousand times more than it is for anyone else. This is for me more than anyone else. Then when you develop that, it's okay now. The Prophet ﷺ was instructed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make one dua, and that was, My Lord, increase me in knowledge. So then, that increase me in knowledge means what? Allah didn't say to the Prophet ﷺ that you must increase your ummah in knowledge. No. You want to have knowledge first before you give it to somebody else. Likewise, you need the husn and the kamal in you first, and the kindness and the salah in you first, before you offer yourself as the, you know, the pipe piper for the ummah. Right. You're not at the be-all, end-all until you know what you have inside. That is why with the teaching of the kitab and hikmah, يُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابُ الْحِكْمَةِ About the Prophet ﷺ. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he teaches them the book, same word here, al-kitab, and he teaches them the hikmah, same word here, al-hakim. Okay. So the Prophet ﷺ came to teach the book, the revelation, and also the hikmah that came with revelation, and then, وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ He purified them. He reformed them. He corrected them. He amended their thoughts and he, sometimes he would change their thoughts and then flip their paradigm upside down. This Tazkiyah. So Tazkiyah is a prerequisite to understanding the Kitab and the Hikmah that the Prophet ﷺ came to teach and came to distribute through Allah's Qadr. So this is now a state of Ihsan. A state of Ihsan means you are always constantly and continuously looking to improve yourself and as part of your own islah and improvement you benefit others the reason why you teach is to learn yourself the reason why you preach is to correct yourself and that is in your niya you cannot be a good preacher or teacher if your own intention is only that you want them to benefit and you don't benefit Therefore, when people invite people to conferences and seminars and lectures, where they are not performing the duties of Islam, at least the five pillars, they should not be spokespeople for Islam in any field. Because that is not a representation of Islam. If you do your salat on time and then uh, you give zakat and you fast and you go for hajj and umrah, etc., then you can say, now I have uh, 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 the lowest level of Ihsan in me. I have the ability to say, Alhamdulillah, I do all of these five pillars through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now I can speak on behalf of Muslims and Islam. Somebody who has done a PhD thesis on an Islamic issue, a Muslim issue, now should not be the leader of the ummah if he or she is not praying, fasting, giving zakat and going for hajj. This is not holier than thou. This is a prerequisite. Right? Somebody who's never uh, experienced baseball or basketball in any way, shape or form and does research into baseball and basketball and writes a book on baseball and basketball, will that person ever be hired to be a coach? 
He hasn't lived it. He hasn't smelled it. He hasn't tasted it. He hasn't become it. Likewise, one of the problems of the Muslim Ummah is that we uh, are very eager to invite people who have now masters and PhD theses uh, under their belts and they have written books on Islam, Islamic this, Islamic this, Islamic this, but they don't have Islam. And then we say, well, maybe we should read these books and invite these speakers. And we say, what for? So it's not that their research is lacking or in want. It's not that their academic skills are in want. It's not that they're not intelligent. It is simply that you cannot represent Islam if you've never tasted it yourself. It won't make any sense to you because you're not convinced, as I mentioned in Surah Rum. You have to be convinced that what you are delivering is worth delivering. It's not a PhD thesis. Simply a PhD thesis. It's something that you value from the depth of your heart, uh, of your heart, and you say, this is what I want to become myself, and therefore I'm sharing this with you. So, Lil Muhsinim is now a, uh, a formula for those who want to establish the Hidayah and the Rahmah, which is this ayah speaks on. That is part of the wisdom. Wisdom means that you understand uh, what it takes to become what you want to promote. And you'll see that in the statements of Luqman uh, himself later on in the surah. One of the definitions of those who are muhsin is this ayah. What is the definition that the Quran is saying? That in order for you to be from those who are muhsin, doers of good and importing good, those who establish prayer. At least they do their five times slot on time and they believe that this is necessary for their lives and the component of their lives. And no matter what, they will always pray on time. We do zakat and those who give zakat and they want to purify themselves for the sake of Allah and they don't want any stinginess nor do they want to necessarily hoard their wealth. They want to distribute their wealth the way Allah wants them to. وَهُمْ بِلَا خِرَتِهُمْ And the most important is this one. And they, with regards to the Akhirah, they are the ones who are very sure the Akhirah is coming. They have absolute certainty that the Akhirah is going to come and based on this uh, belief, they go out and they do ihsan. And they do good. And they want to promote the kindness and the goodness of Islam and the Quran, the Sunnah and the Prophet If you are not convinced that the Akhirah is there, then you will not be able to do the job the Sahaba did in conveying the message. Because the way they conveyed the message was, the dunya is there, but the akhirah is better. The dunya is there, but the akhirah is special. I'm here so that I can make a life for myself in the akhirah. This is the yaqeen, the certainty, and the certitude of knowledge that they have in order for them to say to other people, follow Islam and you'll be happy. Today we say follow Islam and we're scared. Why are we scared? Because we don't believe the Akhirah is necessary to promote. Here the Qur'an is promoting the Qur'an. is saying, if you want to be a muhsin, you must believe in the Akhirah. And then when you believe, you tell others, hey, one day you're going to die. But how do you say that? And how do you do that? 
uh, without believing yourself. But then, uh, when you believe that way, you will be able to articulate this in a very simple way to others in front of you, without offending them. أُولَٰئِكَ عَلَىٰ هُدًا مِّن رَبِّهِمْ وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ This ayah is there in the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, as I'm sure all of you know, and it's repeated here in this surah, uh, with some variation of the prerequisites. These are the ones who are under guidance from their Lord, the guidance is here. The Quran is already a book of guidance, as it says so in ayah number 2. Here Allah is saying that these are guidance, these people who believe in the Akhirah, they establish their prayer and they give their zakat, they are on the guidance that we are speaking of. So it's not that you read the Quran and you'll be guided. No. There is guidance in the Quran. How does one benefit from the guidance? By these acts. You give zakat, you do salat, and you believe, believe in the Akhirah. Belief in the Akhirah is an action. It's not something that's passive. It's an action. You must, you must see that as an action. If you don't believe, someone doesn't believe in the Akhirah, then he is lacking in his action. So this is how we see this playing out. Meaning for Hidayah, you need these qualities within you. So they are now perched on guidance from their Lord. Allah means that they are mounted on guidance. From their Lord. The Rabbihim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides and raises everybody. And these are the people who truly are successful. So, in these first five ayat of Surah Al Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reiterates and repeats the Al Mafhum al Islami, the Islamic rationale, every content that a Muslim needs to know and realize and appreciate before he goes into the whole discussion of the Qur'an, Sunnah and Wahi, that these are my fundamentals, these are the basics, and this is my DNA. Basically. Without this uh, gene and this gene, I will not be a proper Muslim nor a proper human being. So Allah subhanahu wa introduces now us to Surah Luqman by reiterating these phrases and the, 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 these formulae. And this is the style of the Qur'an, repetition will always make uh, a person think and rethink. Repetition is not for the sake of repetition. Uh, as they say in Arabic, that it becomes established the more you hear the same formula time and time again. Uh, and we should all now be uh, very, very appreciative of this because if uh, McDonald's did not advertise, we would never go back to McDonald's. Marketing in your face is part of American life. Repetition. You market the same thing over and over and over again. Why? So that the consumer knows what? He has to buy it. Yeah. The Quran is now people say the Quran is it's always repetition. Some of the critics of the Quran, Voltaire and others say it's repetitive. Yeah. Obviously, Allah guides whomever He wants to to the right path, and Muslims should also appreciate that everything in the Quran is with wisdom. So, if there's repetition, it is with wisdom. Wisdom means that it is supra-intellectual. Okay? We get the wrong end of the word hikmah. Okay? So, we use the word hikmah, hikmat in Urdu, and we use the word wisdom in English, 
and we think it means accommodating and compromising. It means nothing of the sort. When you have hikmah, you do not compromise and you do not accommodate. You are at a level that is above the level of an average intellectual. How do I now establish this, this, this formula in the minds of people? So the U.S. understands consumerism. So they got the formula right. Anyone who's the most aggressive in marketing wins the battle. Right? In your face. Billboards, TV, whatever. Social media, phone. Your own children. All they do is market. And they market. And they market. Your wife. You. You market. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, just take a pause. And then think as to how you run your life. And then apply somewhat of the same model to how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to live. And that is repetition. It is repetition. Repeat, repeat, and repeat. So now, in dhikr, what do you do? You repeat Allah's names. You make tasbih of the same name of Allah, subhanAllah, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah. The one you need to say to God, subhanAllah, three times, or seven times, or a hundred times. Doesn't he, doesn't he listen or hear? So no, it's about the effect of those words on you. That's why you have repetition. takrari. So now certain ayat in the Qur'an, certain themes in the Qur'an, they're repeated time and time again. Why? To ensure the listener that, hey, this is something you have to do. It's called tadkir. Remind people because reminder will always benefit those who believe. So the next time you go to, mashallah, some person's khutbah and he's repeating what the Qur'an is saying, what the Prophet is saying, and you feel oh, it's just a mediocre khutbah because we've heard this before. Then you might as well switch off your American life. Right? Just switch it off. I don't deserve to be here. Why? Because everything's repeated. I repeat everything. I repeat my schedule every day. I repeat my work every day. I go through the same boring, robotic... Method of life every day. Tedious, boring, same thing. You go to Bicharim, Muskin, Khatib, and he repeats one or two things. He's repetitive. That's the nafs. That's the shaitan coming into you. The Quran says to the Prophet, continue to remind people. Why? Because reminder will benefit those who believe. And that is what the Prophet means to do. He used to remind people time and time again, time and time again, do this, and then do this, and then do this, time and time again. This is a style of address, and it's a style of Islah. It's a method of Islah that you repeat. Because when you have young children, mashallah, you know that until you repeat words to them, they will learn. And you repeat the same word. Hundred times, ten thousand times, and they're asking you the same question. Hundred times, ten thousand times, and you're repeating, and you're engaging, and you enjoy it, and you like it. Okay, and the Quran follows some of the rules of human speech, and you know this is how human beings are. So now this is repeated okay, from Surah Al-Baqarah. <laughs> 
So it is for the read of the Qur'an to sit down and think, what is the hikmah in repeating here? The first is for yourself, that you want to make good on your promise to Allah, that you will follow his rules and regulations, and you will understand the Qur'an at a high level. This is for you. Then secondly, when you have this appreciation, you will go further into finding, uh, at least looking for, another reason in your mind uh, without being uh, condescending. That there perhaps is a reason why this is repeated here, which I'm not understanding. When you have that mindset, Allah will then guide you as the Qur'an is guidance towards someone or a tafsir or an experience where you will benefit from that. And you will say, okay, this is now the purpose of repeating this here in this surah. Right? Then at third level is mufassir. The one who's trained and seasoned in understanding the whole Qur'an, he will sit and he'll come with an explanation that is beyond most people. That here, this is Surah Al-Luqman. Luqman is known as Al-Hakim, the wise. And it is in the wisdom of the wise to, to always repeat what needs to be repeated. That's why this theme is repeated here, as it is mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah. Because people must be reminded of what is the eventual wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to appreciate and follow. Because uh, this is what Luqman does as you'll see when he talks to his son. The basic fundamental principle of reading the Qur'an is that the Qur'an is an act of ibadah. It must, spirit, it must invigorate you spiritually, and then it must take you down a road of intellectual discussion, which is based not on any kind of childish uh, expectations. The Qur'an will justify what I'm doing in life. Sometimes when we read the Qur'an, Sunnah, we read because we want to find justification what we are doing. And then when we find an ayah that seems to go that way, then we don't improve ourselves. And we, we think that we have understood something Allah wants us to understand, which may be true. But at the end of the day, it is for your own tazkiyah that you read and try to understand the Qur'an so that you understand the levels of wisdom and there are levels of knowledge which are mentioned in this surah. In this surah there are levels of hikam. And in the surah there are levels of khabar, news, information and knowledge. This is what this surah is about. So, first of all, appreciating the different levels as we will hopefully highlight when we go through each eye of the surah. And there's levels of experience and there's level of, levels of instruction also. So all of these levels must be under the rubric of Al-Hakim, the wise who comes to a person who has intelligence. The Qur'an does not disregard anyone's intelligence. The Qur'an says that with intelligence you need action, and with intelligence and action together you get to a level of maturity, which is Al-Hikmah. And that is what Allah gave Luqman. So this is a brief summary of the first Introduction to the surah, and we will stop here today. As this is the first tafsir of this surah, inshallah. And we'll continue with this the next time we meet, which hopefully will be next week. Jazakallah khair.
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us and guide us and give us from his fadl. Subhanallah alhamdulillah. Subhanakallahumma alhamdulillah. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah.